The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The talk tonight is part of a series of talks on the uh, four foundations of mindfulness. Let me just, I'm just curious as to how many of you have been to the other, the two previous ones. Okay. So I think what I'm going to do is to start by putting this sort of stepping back and, and putting, putting this uh, particular uh, set of teachings in context because um, some of you haven't been here for the, f- for the first two foundations, uh, so we'll sort of brush through those fairly quickly. You know, the Buddha, um, when he encountered the, the heavenly messengers, the old, the old person, the sick person, and the, and the corpse, and discovered, um, according to the myth, the story uh, that we've got, and, and discovered the, the truth of, of uh, human suffering and set out to, to try to resolve that for himself. Uh, after sitting for uh, some years, he had his insight, his awakening insight into the, into the radical quality of impermanence. Um, the, the, uh, the unsatisfactory uh, quality of all experience and that n- there are no things anywhere. <laughs> um, and he formulated that insight into uh, his presentation of, of the Four Noble Truths, uh, the truth of, of unsatisfactoriness. If satisfaction is an issue for you, you will be dissatisfied. Um, comes with the territory. It's just built in. Not that everything is going to be agony and gloom and doom, but it's a part of the scene. It's a part of, it's a part, it's on the dance card. And the second of the noble truths, the origin of that, uh, that's, that unsatisfactoriness, that suffering, is uh, craving, uh, desire. And the cessation of uh, suffering is possible, and there is a path. The fourth of the noble truths is the path to the cessation of suffering. And there are eight elements to it, and I always thought there were, that eight was too many. Because it, you know, I thought, well, this guy, what's, get, let's get down to it. What's the one? But he's got eight, um, and at the heart of that uh, is um, mindfulness. Uh, the Pali word is sati, um, and we translate that as as mindfulness. And it's skillful mindfulness, right mindfulness, wise mindfulness, the mindfulness that that leads to the end of end of suffering. And the mindfulness is at the heart of the of the path, um, and is and shows up in relation to each of the other elements in the path. Um, the notion of the foundations of mindfulness, that that phrase, the four foundations of mindfulness, comes from a particular uh, part of the scriptures, a, a sutta, a discourse of the Buddhas called the Satipatthana Sutta, and it's translated usually as the foundations of mindfulness, and there are four of them. And in the past couple of weeks, um, there have been discussions of the first two, uh, the first being mindfulness of, of the body, 
and the second being mindfulness of feeling tone, pleasant or unpleasant. And the third foundation, I'm going to say something about the word foundation, but the third foundation is um, a mindfulness of, of mind states. Mindfulness basically means keeping in mind, keeping before your attention. Uh, Tan Jeff, uh, one of the uh, c- current translator and scholar, translates Satipatthana as the frames of reference, which is an interesting translation because Sati means mindfulness and, well, I'm not a Pali scholar, so I'm, I'm telling you what I've heard. Patana is, talks about establishment or, or foundation. It's the basis for mindfulness. He, Tanjev translates it as frames of reference because the idea is that we, for the purposes of practice, if we practice with the first foundation, for example, then we would be, we would be filtering our experience through the prism of the body and the physical sensations uh, and the awareness and the contemplations of the body and its impermanence, its unsatisfactoriness, and its, its changing and dependent nature. The same with, with feeling tone. We would, we would focus our, for purposes of practice, we would focus our attention on the pleasantness or unpleasantness of our experience um, and notice the changing nature of, of that experience. Uh, now, it's not what we want because we want the pleasant stuff to stay and we don't want the unpleasant stuff to show up. And the third foundation, unless any of you are really looking for the unpleasant stuff, usually we don't root for the headache, right? Um, and the third foundation is the contemplation of mind. Now, the, it's, it's interesting in the, in, the, uh, in the Sutta, the first foundation is lots of, there. oh, what? 15 or 16 different practices in relation to the body. Then the second and the third foundations are very short, and the fourth is long again. The third is short enough that I'm actually going to read it. So I will inflict upon you the, the a translation from the Pali for, for the uh, third foundation of mindfulness. Uh, the Buddha says, and how bhikkhus, bhikkhus is the Pali word for uh, a monk, and how bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a bhikkhu understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. He understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate, and mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate. He understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and he understands mind unaffected by delusion, as mind unaffected by delusion. He understands contracted mind as contracted mind, and distracted mind as distracted mind. I know it's a, it's a list. There won't be a test. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back over them. I just, just want to give, get the sense of this. Distracted mind. He understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. He understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. He understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind 
an unconcentrated mind. As unconcentrated mind, he understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. In this way, he abides contemplating mind as mind internally or he abides contemplating mind as mind externally or he abides contemplating mind as mind both internally and externally. You wouldn't want to read this you know, just before going to sleep. Or he abides contemplating in mind its arising factors, or he abides contemplating in mind its vanishing factors, or he abides contemplating in mind both its arising and vanishing factors. Or else mindfulness that there is mind is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world independent and not clinging to anything in the world is the state of a, an awakened being, just mindful. So he, he traces the path um, through these eight, uh, there, actually that list was, there were eight things in there. And I'm going to go through them. Uh, because sometimes mind, mind states, we sort of think, well, it could be anything. But he's specifically looking at uh, the qualities of desire, wanting, um, aversion, hating, uh, anger, and delusion. So these are the three poisons. The first three are the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. They are the qualities that are at at the root of our suffering. And he says we would know them. We'd know a mind in which there was wanting as wanting, and a mind without wanting as a mind without wanting. It's interesting that he doesn't say, if you come across a mind that's angry, get rid of that anger, throw it out, suppress it, you know, grit your teeth and say, don't be, or whatever. Just one knows. One is aware that the mind, there, there is a mind uh, affected by anger. So it's it's an interesting relationship to these mind qualities. So the first three are really big because we sort of encounter them most of the time. Um, let me talk a little bit about uh, greed or desire or wanting, that, that longing. Um, Ajahn Jumian, who's a, who's a monk from uh, uh, Thailand, likes to say that, you know, desire works like a, mo- like a flame for the moth. You know, the flame is bright. Everything else is dark. All you can see when you're, when you're in the thrall of an object that you want or an idea that you want or something you want to have, when you're in the thrall, all you see is that. Everything else is, you just don't even pay attention. You know, that old, there's an Indian, uh, India, Indian aphorism. When a pickpocket meets a saint, he only sees the saint's pockets. So when we're in the thrall of what we want, that's what we see. Just the object. And we don't see, the moth doesn't see the compulsion in itself to fly towards the flame. And we usually don't notice in ourselves what the wanting is like. We just notice that it would be great if. You know, so we, so 
the um, and and you know in our in our practice uh, we're uh, it's suggested that we when we are experiencing wanting or desire we might check out the physical sensations of the body and uh, you know, try to get out of the storyline that that you know about how great it will be when when you know. I just have January 20th in my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean. So we're we're looking we're looking forward to uh, you know, the promised land, and that could be almost anything, whatever it is. It could be that you know the cookie that you've been, or the Dove bar that's still sitting in the freezer, or whatever it is. You know, or it could be January 20th. Um, but we're enthralled with the object. And there are, you know, there's a physical component too. The Buddha says, pay attention to the mind state, this mind state that is affected by desire. Or the mind state that's not, because it's not always present. And to notice when it's present and when it's not. You know, our, our, our thirst for pleasant experience, that wanting, that pleasant, that desire. Now that's, there's always a feeling of lack. There's always uncomfortable. It's on, you know, we, we like the idea of that flame of whatever the object is. But somehow what's present is not satisfactory. It's not enough. We need that if only we got whatever. Only it were January twentieth. Um, you know, so we we uh, the experience of that longing. Now, how how is that? So the idea here is to is to pay attention to um, the way that we relate to the objects and notice when to the objects in our experience, the, the content of our experience, and notice when there's wanting present. And notice when it's not present. To notice when aversion is present. Aversion is just the flip side of um, the wanting. It's not wanting. And, you know, it can be very mild. Um, It can be just irritation. Um, Where did I leave my keys? Grumble, grumble, grumble. or it can get worse. Is where did I leave my computer? Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> you know, um, the, the level of panic rises uh, proportionally. Um, but it can become anger. You know, it can become hatred. It can become crazed. The aversion to to existing experience or to well, you know, we think of it as uh, well. It, it can apply to our to opinions that we disagree with. So it's you know unpleasantness and and anger uh, can can be not just physical experiences, um, but you know largely views ideas can be unpleasant, and the object of our aversion could be our thought of a person or an idea, an opinion, a situation, or, our ideas. You know, our, our memories of, you know, the things that come up in our mind as we sit, 
We can have aversion. We can get reactive to those. Oh, unpleasant. Don't like it. Anger, irritation. Um, That happens just all inside our head. And we, we notice, sometimes we don't even notice the relationship to that. I, I, um, I have sat with, uh, and you guys probably have too at one time or another, with thoughts about uh, um, a coworker going on in my mind. How could she do this? Why didn't she do this? You know, da, 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 da. And, you know, for, it took quite a while to even notice that I was angry because I was, I was going over all the things that shouldn't be. You know, so sometimes it's not real obvious. Some people say, oh, I don't get angry. You know, we don't notice the relationship to the object, the relationships to our thinking. So, you know, desire and aversion uh, show up in relation to the, th- to the thoughts that arise uh, in our experience. So we can get worked up sitting in this room um, without anything happening at all except thoughts. Pick something you cared about last week. We can can feel good or bad. I'm sure there was good or bad to feel. Uh, And it's it's not even present in the room, but but in our thoughts. There's, there, Buddha didn't give an instruction to avoid these things, these experiences either, but to know them, just to be present with them, to be aware of them. You know, there's a tendency to think if we could avoid this unpleasant experience, then we'd reach the end of suffering. I don't think, you know, it, the body comes with the ability to feel pain and, and both pleasant and unpleasant experience. And that's going to show up for an awakened person or a non-awakened person. Um, and the Buddha says, avoiding that, uh, the avoidance of suffering is not the end of suffering. Yeah. And what we want to do is to know when the desire for avoidance, the desire for to push it away, to not, to not be, when that's present and when it's not present. Because there are moments when it's not present. And what we're trying to do here is to monitor the state of our mind. Because it's constantly changing. And the state of our experience. I woke up the other morning. I woke up before the alarm. It was just great. I'd gotten plenty of sleep. It was warm under the covers. I was lying there. I was thinking, this is just great. My body felt great. I thought, just wonderful. And I got to get out of bed in a little bit. <laughs> it was just not going to last. You know, and I just sort of had to laugh at myself for thinking you know, that it might have possibly lasted. You know? um, the thought that we can satisfy ourselves, make ourselves happy by getting what we want, that, you know, that's, that's a delusion. So if you find yourself thinking that, that's the, th- the third element here. The mind that is affected by delusion is the mind affected by delusion. Um, 
And really, delusion or ignorance is the heart of, of the problem. Because the only reason why we want or don't want, the only reason you know, desire and aversion arise out of ignorance, because we think that we'll make ourselves happy if we get what we want. We, we have notions about who we are and what we are, and ideas about, you know, if we can just get things set up right, then everything would be fine. You know? And if we mistake, don't, don't we really think that, sort of? You know? if, we, if we act from a standpoint, uh, from ideas that are not, that are not correct, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to get the results that we think. So if we see a <clears throat> something on the floor and think it's a snake, we jump back, you know, and it turns out to be a rope. Well, you know, um, we acted on the basis of a misperception. If we act on the basis of misperceptions in other situations, we can damage ourselves and others. And generally, out of misperceptions, we'll generate desire, wanting and aversion, not wanting, irritation, anger, fear. You know, those states arise in relation to ideas that we have about the way things are, the way things ought to be. Um, and, you know, the Buddha says, be aware. He says, be aware of the... Uh, he understands... Mind affected by delusion is mind affected by delusion. So, you know, how do you, how do you know? Because none of us think we're deluded, right? <laughs> All those who are deluded. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and interestingly, that's probably a moment of clear seeing. <laughs> that may be all you get, but that's, <laughs> but, but, but it's a, a moment of clear seeing. And usually what distracts us from um, seeing things as they are are our ideas about how things are or should be. The, the Buddha said there, the uh, principal forms, the four forms of attachment, attachment to pleasant experience, to sense, sense pleasures, pleasant experience, and of course the flip side, the aversion to unpleasant. So if you really have a preference for the pleasant, when the unpleasant comes up, you just can't be. So I, I went through a period where I thought, well, okay, I won't be attached to the unpleasant. Then I'll be okay. But what's wrong with being attached to the pleasant? Except that if you have that preference, you're setting yourself up. There's no way that if you want the pleasant and the unpleasant shows up, you're going to be content with that. So we're attached to pleasant, to sense pleasures, and we're attached to views and opinions, our ideas about how things ought to be. And, and, and actually, our, our attachment to views and opinions, these, these are the flame, this, the, metaphorically, the flames that we find so compelling. And we find true and false well, we want to be right, we want to be true. Don't we all want to be right as opposed to wrong? You know, we're 
we'd like we'd like to be right, and and people who disagree. All of those views sets up contention. People who see things differently. At one point, the Buddha said in the Honeyball Sutta, he said, "I teach a Dharma that does not contend with anyone." It's a pretty steep, it's a pretty high bar, because any idea you have about the way things ought to be, you know, such and particularly in the wake of last week, such, such and such should have happened, such and such didn't happen. You know, we have our opinions about all kinds of things, and our attachment to them puts us in opposition to others who see things differently. So attachment to views is a is a major source of suffering. And and attachment to rites and rituals. Which is interesting because we don't think that we really are into rites or rituals particularly. But we often translate um, you know, the precepts, for example, for those of you who are familiar with them or who practice with them, we translate them into elements of judgment. So we, we practice, we perform the precepts with it, almost as if they were a rite or a ritual. And attachment to our ideas of self, who we are. We are something. We know we're something. We think we're something and we feel we're something. Well, something's happening. Um, So attachment to views, what happens is we see the world through our views, through our ideas about the way things are. And we don't see the views, the ideas themselves as views. The thoughts as just thoughts. We react to them. We can get upset by them. We can become inspired by them. We can become angered by them. Um, and so the Buddha says, in this, as, as, a, as a, an establishing uh, component of mindfulness, monitor your mind and notice when, you know, Desire is present when it's not present, when aversion is present when it's not present, when delusion is present and when it's not present. How do we know when delusion is present? Because if we're deluded, we're certainly... The best answer to that that I've found is, well, there's, there are a lot of people who have answers of various kinds. One, one uh, I like the way Christopher Titmus puts it, he says, everything you think is wrong. He just cuts right to it and says that, you know, if you're thinking it, it's, um, but that's not quite so helpful. <laughs> um, Ajahn Pasano's response, which I particularly like, is uh, if you're suffering, if you're suffering, if you want to know if you're deluded, check to see if you're suffering. So we have these first three, uh, these clusters of the uh, of this third foundation: um, greed, hatred, and delusion. The fourth, the fourth of the these couplets is interesting because the first three are lust and not lust, and and uh, you know anger and not anger, and delusion and not delusion. This one is um, 
the, the uh, translations are, is contracted and distracted. You know, well, the first time I read that, I said, huh? And then I read right on. And, um, but, but for, you know, from what I can tell from the commentaries, the, the Buddha was talking about uh, mind, the, the, the difference between uh, sloth and torpor and um, restlessness, agitation. So contracted uh, would be the sleepy, slothful, you, you've been there, you close your eyes, sit, close your eyes, follow your breath, you know, two breaths into it, the next thing you know, you know, you're waking up or your chin is done. We've all done that one. Um, and that's contracted mind. And distracted mind would be the mind that's, that's just, oh my gosh, I've got to remember this, I've got to get this done, maybe I shouldn't sit for the remainder of the 20 minutes because if I don't get this, and I just had this great idea and i got to write it down. And it, you ever had that one? <laughs> you know, um, and maybe I shouldn't have taken 15 minutes in the first place because I got traffic could be, you know, the mind is just going. That's different than the contracted state, which is, you know, that dreamy, hazy kind of thing. So the idea here is monitoring your mind, knowing what's present. Is the mind contracted? Is it distracted? Just to be aware of it as a as as a uh, mind state. And interestingly, these these first four elements: greed, hatred, delusion, and um, this uh, contracted and distracted mind state. These sort of mirror the hindrances. These first, these four, first four. Um, the hindrances are um, mind qualities that block our ability to see things as they are. And the, f- the five hindrances are, are desire and aversion and sloth and torpor and restlessness and doubt. Well, you know, the Buddha's got delusion in the, the, uh, this third foundation instead of doubt, but doubt in a, in, a, in a way is a form of delusion. So he's talking about being aware of the mind, these mind states. They're mundane mind states. They occur to us all the time. Um, we're living with them as, as we walk around. Um, and he says, you know, he doesn't say get rid of this stuff. Just be aware of it. Just notice it. See clearly, um, and not only you know this mindful, this mind, not just see, but know what you're what you're seeing, so that you know it's not just be with the greed; it's recognize it as greed, uh, greed, or wanting, longing. Um, so these first four um, elements. You know, we aren't to resist them. We aren't to try to cling to them. Just watch them come. Uh, watch, study them. Study their quality. Uh, the stories that go with them. Um, and as a frame of reference, we would filter our experience through our attention to our mind states. The next four elements are interesting. They tend to be not... They're, um, they tend to be not mundane. They, t- they tend to be uh, qualities that come with, um, uh, they're qualities of the mind, 
not qualities, it's not a mind affected by lust, but a mind that is narrow and a mind that is great. And this, this is um, generally understood, and this is just a translation of it sometimes. Uh, um, I think, I think the, the, the translation here was um, uh, ex- exalted and unexalted. And the idea here is that um, you know whether the mind is, that you just know whether the mind is um, developed or not. Uh, someone asked a question once, how, how would someone who was fully awake know whether they were awake? And the answer is, are you awake? You go, well, you know that you're not a fully awakened being. And you know it that same way. So you know whether the mind has, you know, is, has developed or not developed. We just have a sense. The next one is um, surpassable and unsurpassable. One knows the mind that is surpassable. In other words, there are states that surpass it and we understand. You know, so he's talking about uh, concentration development, jhana qualities, you know, is this mind state that's here present? Could it be more? Could it be more uh, developed? Could it be surpassed? So these two, you know, uh, narrow and great, or um, surpassable and unsurpassable, they're sort of pointing at the same thing. It's just an awareness of the developmental nature of our awakening process, and to, to have a sense of where we are. Just a sense. Concentrated mind is concentrated mind, and unconcentrated mind is unconcentrated mind. Is your mind scattered, flitting around, or is it focused and resting and stable on the object of your your attention? You know that by just observing. I mean, you, can, you know it now, at this moment. Is my mind concentrated, or is it free-ranging? <laughs> you know, is it, it, I, I assume yours is doing sort of what mine is doing. Just sort of, it's not locked on a single object and steady. Right? It's, it's following uh, its thoughts. And liberated mind as liberated mind, and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. So these are the specific elements of the third foundation, the specific targets. So there, you know, you could you could talk about um, other other qualities. The jealous mind is the jealous mind. The envious mind is the envious mind. You know, the sad mind is the sad mind. The grieving. You know, you, there are other qualities, but the Buddha says that the foundation of mind. The, the foundations, the, the, the mindfulness can rest upon awareness of these specific mind states. What's interesting is that these, the second set of, of mind states, including, for example, you know, liberated mind as liberated mind, saying mindfulness applies even in the awakened state for someone who is a fully awakened critter. That person would, would know, you know, through mindful attention to what was present. This is an awakened mind.
a liberated mind. So mindfulness applies to every mind state from the, you know, the most trivial irritation to the most exalted, liberated state. Mindfulness is never inappropriate. And so mindfulness of the mind states applies even when you're sitting not even aware of the, of the, of the body. You're sitting in a state of absorption so intense that you're just aware of the object of your, your focus. Mindfulness, and to know that, to know that that's what's going on, and to recognize it, so the, the, the perception of, uh, so, so that mindfulness um, directs our, our uh, perception uh, quality so that we know what we're seeing. Now the 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 um, he identifies those qualities, those you know those eight uh, qualities, the four mundane ones: greed, hatred, delusion, and sloth and torpor, and and uh, restlessness, and then narrow, great, surpassed, unsurpassed, concentrated, unconcentrated, and liberated, unliberated. Those four are sort of, um, those are the transcendental states. And he says, in, so you're aware, you're mindful of whatever is present in the mind. In this way, he abides contemplating mind. Well, now, this is an interesting sentence. This, and this refrain, I don't know whether the people in the earlier, going over the earlier um, uh, elements of the, of the sutta read this, the refrain. This refrain is repeated over and over again. But in this case, it's applying to mind. He says, in this way, the bhikkhu abides contemplating mind as mind internally, or he abides contemplating mind as mind externally, or he abides contemplating mind as mind both internally and externally. What does that mean? Well, there's what I, I find it kind of entertaining. Most of the commentators will say, well, they start with, because the first time you encounter this, it's about the body. So they monitor the body internally and externally, and they say, um, it's my body and the bodies of others. That's how, the, that's how a lot of the discussion goes, and I find that a little puzzling, particularly when you get to, you contemplate the mind internally and the mind externally. There's, then they go and say, well, this is, um, these, when you reach the advanced states, you become clairvoyant and you can perceive. But, you know, I, I sort of, that's, and that really is, you'll, you'll find a lot of people saying that. Um, I won't mention who, but if you go look, you'll, you'll, you'll see, it's in all the commentaries. For me, it seems a little different. It's like when he says, you know, st- whether you're standing, walking, seated, or lying down, that's a sort of a poetic way of saying all the time. Well, internally and externally just is everything. You know, your whole experience from the most intimate to the, what you perceive as the most. So I just see, you know, you abide contemplating mind as it is, as it encounters um, internal and supposedly external. It's all our neurology anyway. So it's all happening in our neurology anyway, internally and externally. Or he abides contemplating mind and its arising factors 
or he abides contemplating mind in its vanishing factors, or he abides contemplating in mind both its arising and vanishing factors. Well, this is actually more important, I think, than at first blush, because he's saying you want to pay attention to these elements, the states of mind as they arise and pass. And the arising and passing, if you see, if you can attend to them as they arise and pass and see the conditions that give rise to their arising and passing, you see them as certainly not self, they're not you, they're impermanent, and they're not going to hang around and be satisfying, you're not going to be in one state, even in the advanced, the concentrated mind won't last, it, it comes and goes. You know, even the people who achieved, the Buddha found in his, his early practice, that even though he could achieve the, the most intense forms of uh, jhana absorption, that you know he had to open his eyes at the end, and then he's right back where he started. Um, Ajahn Jumian used to talk about a, uh, a nun at his monastery who had incredible concentration powers, just incredible powers, but when she would come out of that, she would be cranky. <laughs> you know, because... It wasn't. It was much nicer with the eyes closed. <laughs> you know, so these states come and go, and when you become aware of them, so you, he, he specifically directs us to notice the changing nature, the conditional quality of the mind states. What gives rise to? We think this is my mind. You know, I'm angry. I'm happy. Happiness arises. It passes. It is not an element of ourselves. It's impermanent. That's an, you know, so if we can, if we can watch how that happens, we can liberate ourselves from our, our uh, uh, being enthralled by the content. Or else mindfulness that there is a mind is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. So that thought, there is mind. In other words, there is just enough perception of mind. You're sitting in a very, he's describing a very exalted state where you just are aware that there is mind, just enough so that for bare attention, for bare knowledge and mindfulness, just enough to know there is mind. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So it's a path to you know, full awakening through just this, you know, each of each of these elements, this frame of reference. That's the way the way Tan Jeff translates it. And it's aimed it's aimed at getting us to see the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self qualities, the anatta quality of, of our mind states. And it's one of the four foundations, one of the four bases of mindfulness uh, practice. So let me... um, It's pretty thick stuff, and it's usually not the... um, It's not the uh, teaching we get. If you go on retreat, usually your mindfulness practice, it starts with pay attention to 
your breathing, the physical sensation. We do the walking meditation. We pay attention to the feet on the floor, the movement of the legs. A lot of attention and focus on the physical. Then there's usually instruction about notice what's pleasant and unpleasant, whether your experience is pleasant. There's not a whole lot of instruction on how to do it. There's a lot of detailed stuff on how to feel the soles of your feet on the floor and, you know, your breath and all kinds of stuff, but not a lot about pleasant and unpleasant. And when it comes to mind states and emotions, it's just sort of my experience is, you know, pay attention to your emotions, pay attention to your mind states. But look, look specifically for these, for these, these ones that come up a lot. Just notice this is greed. This is wanting. This is what wanting is like. Wanting is like this. Aversion. Anger is like this. And just to notice what it is, there's a difference between just being angry at some SOB and saying, look at this, anger is like this. I'm angry, yeah. And it's like this, and I can feel, I, I, it's the state, I hear the story, it's going over, it's the same story over and over again, and you know, there's tightness in my jaw. And, I mean, you can notice some of this stuff. Anger is like this, and the mind state is like this. So we're monitoring our state of mind, monitoring our feeling tone, monitoring the condition of our body and observing that all of these things are in flux. They're all changing. It's like a breeze. Is a breeze a thing? Is a whirlpool or a tornado, is it a thing? It's a process. That's what we got going. So we want to monitor that and watch it and and abide uh, unattached to all things in the world. So let me ask if there are questions um, or comments or... Please. My question is, uh, you know how they say, uh, the Buddha said that mindfulness of the body and breath is enough to achieve full awakening? And like Zen guys say that and stuff. I was just wondering why, um, why continue to elaborate and have three more foundations of mindfulness, if that's said to be um, a complete path? And is that like for effectiveness, for like shifting to those things when they do arrive in meditation, when you're trying to be mindful of the body and breath, or what do you think? Well, my take on this is that um, it could be a simple instruction. The mindfulness instruction could be really simple, two words. Instead of having this whole sutta and all this, just pay attention. But that's too simple. Because <laughs> we already think we're paying attention. So he broke it down. You know, there, what is present for us here? So he's focusing on uh, the you know, elements of the aggregates, paying attention to our uh, to experience, not just the physical experience, because it's not just the breath. I mean, there is the, uh, the Anapanasati Sutta, which is just about mindfulness of breathing. There's also another Sutta, which is just about mindfulness of the body. And those are, those are paths which can take you, um, if you pursue them and, and stick with them, they can carry you through. But there are other elements, there are other things going on. Pleasant, unpleasant experiences hardwired into our creaturehood. Is that a creaturehood? Just made that up. You know, so I mean, we experience pleasant and unpleasant. It's, it's our body. It's a sensitive organ. 
You know, it, uh, you stick yourself with a pin, you feel it. It's unpleasant. Comes, comes with the territory. So mindfulness can be uh, directed to that. It could be directed to our mind states as well. And I won't get ahead of the game and let uh, and and set up the fourth foundation, which is a different kind of critter uh, from the first three. It, it is about mind qualities, right? And and I won't I don't want to launch into that because that's um, another that's next week. <laughs> Plus, it's a different it's a different thing. Um, so is that is that helpful? I mean, you know, you because. He described the process here from wanting to not wanting to delusion, you know, through uh, sloth and through the energy states, sloth and torpor, and, and then up through the jhanas and the concentrated states and the liberated states. So, and then he abides not clinging to anything in this world. So he's saying you could do it with monitoring mind states too. You could do it monitoring pleasant and unpleasant. But see, that stuff flickers by so fast. You know? But they're frames of reference. That's why Tanjeff uses the translate Satipatthana as frames of reference, and he talks about this as the four frames of reference. Because if we use the body, then we filter our experience through the physical sensations. You know, we'll, there'll be a story going on, and we'll say, "Oh, look at yeah, tightness, whatever." Or, or, but we're focusing on the body, or we're focusing on pleasant, unpleasant experience. Or we're focusing on monitoring our mind states, and we use that as the the reference point. Is that is that uh, please? I just had a thought on um, external and internal. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that part of the seeing of anatta that you can see through this is looking at your own mind states, mm-hmm. and it's also important that to realize that the same thing is going on in other people. So you don't have to be clairvoyant necessarily to notice that people are in thrall in the thrall of greed or delusion or aversion or Well know. what we notice about other people are the shapes and forms and then we project what yeah. they're going through. Yeah, but I mean you but there's a tendency to project uh, as, I mean I just as you have to see through the story element in your own mind and yeah. see that it's just these passive <clears throat> mind states, you well, they could be right. see through that and still not attribute, still attribute to other people. <laughs> they could be right, but right or wrong, you know, yeah. it doesn't seem to me, you know, the point. Okay. Yeah. No, but I'm, but I, 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 I see that as a, as a viable, yeah. uh, to recognize that other people are, are experiencing these states as well. Yeah, I mean the tendency to blame, to still see a self in other people, to still see a self in other people. That's an idea, isn't that an idea? What's an idea? That you all are experiencing greed, hatred, and delusion. That's an idea in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I should be mindful of that as an idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which could be delusion, because you guys could all be. Now, isn't, isn't there a isn't there a, uh, a Tibetan practice where you're supposed to uh, um, you imagine that everyone is fully awakened except for you, <laughs> and there and and you have to understand your job is to understand how they're showing you all your shortcomings. Well, there's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
there is. It's an opportunity. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I thank you for your attention. And if you want to see, I, I, I actually have somebody out, a book out there, and you can see the guys talking about internal and external, and it's somebody else.